episode 88. Where can you learn how to turn evidence into better outcomes? Today, I speak with Dr. Lisa Simpson from Academy Health. American healthcare entrepreneurs and executives you want to know. Talking. Relentlessly seeking value. It's hard to work alone to achieve better healthcare outcomes. First of all, unless you have a benchmark, a comparator, it's really hard to say whether your outcomes are good, better, or maybe even best. And it's equally hard to evaluate the efficacy of the process by which you achieved those outcomes. For example, are you getting the most possible for the resources that you expended? Operating in a silo, you will never know. Academy Health is a membership organization that helps healthcare stakeholders find the evidence needed or analyze the evidence already located in the name of better healthcare outcomes. Today, I speak with Dr. Lisa Simpson, the president and CEO of Academy Health. My name is Stacy Richter, and this podcast is sponsored by Aventria Health Group. Welcome to Relentless Health Value, Lisa. Thank you, Stacy. It's great to be here. Let's talk about Academy Health. Could you give us the top line? What's the mission? What are you trying to achieve? Thanks. Yeah, Academy Health is the professional society for health services and policy research. Now, what does that mean? Well, we are working with over 4,500 members, partner organizations, and colleagues around the country and increasingly internationally to focus on improving health and the performance of the health system. And we do that by helping to generate better evidence about what works in health and healthcare. And then once we know what works, once that evidence has been created, we partner very actively to move that evidence into policy and practice. So not just research, not just analysis, but very much helping decision makers in the public and private sectors use that evidence to inform the decisions that they're making in this increasingly complex and messy healthcare system. When you say generating evidence, do you actually mean gathering data? Sometimes, yes. A number of our members are doing national studies that are funded either by government, the NIH, the Agency for Healthcare Research and Quality, and others to prospectively study various aspects of the changes in our healthcare system, whether it's different approaches to care coordination, different management strategies for populations at risk of poor outcomes, high utilizers, but often it's also using existing data. Traditionally, that existing data has come from claims, both Medicare and Medicaid and private sector claims. But we're at an inflection point in the data resources available for that evidence. With the massive expansion in electronic health record data, as well as the other sources of data which are emerging, whether they're from mHealth and all the various technologies that we use, the movement towards Fitbits and the quantified self, I think the field is about to explode or is already exploding in its ability to generate more understanding about human health and the impact of different interventions on health outcomes using all these different data sources. So it's not just collecting data, but using and leveraging different kinds of data and putting them together in creative ways 
to answer really important questions about patients and healthcare outcomes and quality and value. Let me understand how this operates. I'm going to roll it up into a really simplistic level. You tell me whether I got it. You've got 4,500 member organizations, approximately, you had mentioned. Yeah, individual members. Individual members. About 170 organizations as well. Got it. Okay. So 170 organizations. So is it that every one of those 170 organizations and individuals, as appropriate, agrees to pool data? In other words, you amass and aggregate all the data that you have from these 170 organizations or some subset thereof, and then you take it upon yourself as a collaborative to study and analyze and figure out what to do with that data? Or how does this work? There are lots of different ways, Stacey. I'm I'm glad you asked the question. So most generally, the most common approach is that we help individual members and organizations learn from each other, especially about how to use their own data. And so an example of that is the Electronic Data Methods Forum. This is an initiative that we've been running for the last six years with support from the Agency for Healthcare Research and Quality, where we're collaborating with folks. At this point, we have over 4,000 participants in the network. Some are much more active than others, obviously. But we have funded some collaborative methods projects where uh, different groups across the United States have worked together on some thorny issues like data quality on electronic health record data. And these initial projects that we've been able to fund with the support we receive have helped lead to even larger projects supported by the Patient-Centered Outcomes Research Institute, PCORI, or others. So that's one example. At other times, we have worked more directly with individuals to help them analyze their data. So that gets maybe a little bit more closely aligned with the example you were using, but somewhat differently. So let me be specific. Another partnership we have is with the Medicaid medical directors. So your audience may not know that almost every state in this country has a physician medical director in their Medicaid program. And their scope and responsibility varies depending on the state, but they really are the senior most clinician leader in the state Medicaid program and are very concerned about quality and access and costs, which are very high in the Medicaid program. It's a high need, high cost population. And so they have worked together on such issues that are topical that everybody's focused on, like rehospitalizations, like early elective deliveries, like psychotropic medication use in children. And there, it's more that we get aggregate data from each of them and help them benchmark against each other so that they can look at, well, who's doing better and talk to each other about, well, what are you doing? How is your population different? What strategies and care management approaches have you put into place either directly through your fee-for-service Medicaid or in your managed care programs to get your rates down of poor outcomes? How do you determine what questions to ask? I'm trying to figure out where does this start? Does it start from the data? Does it start from the question? In other words, do you get together and all of your membership agrees? Hmm, here is a large thorny issue. We should all get together and figure out how to solve it. Okay, everyone throw your data in and let's analyze it. Couple things. One, in general, 
Academy Health's work, whether it's our annual convening, our main conferences, and I'll mention a couple of them later in this conversation, but whether it's those meetings or these smaller collaboratives that we're talking about right now, which are really not with 4,500 folks, each of those tends to be with a dozen to 50 participants. So they're much smaller, tightly knit groups. They are, regardless of the activity, it is very much driven, like you said, by the participants' priorities. So they come together and say, what is a shared issue? What is most relevant? We are very much in the mode of being responsive, and our job at Academy Health is to provide the platforms and the collaborative participation that supports the individual partners addressing their own needs and achieving value through the collaboration and through the convening. In another example of that convening is where evidence has been created. There's new research that's being published or worked on, and we convene the users who have not been involved in generating the evidence, but, for example, the federal policymakers who are struggling with that topic as a policy issue and need to understand what are we learning from the research. So to give you a specific example, in that sector, one of the trends in healthcare that we're seeing very much over the last several years is consolidation, not just consolidation in health insurance plans that are one's buying up the other, but also in provider organizations. And so the Federal Trade Commission and other federal policymakers are asking, well, what's the impact of this consolidation? What is it doing to access to care? What's it doing to prices, cost, quality. And so a number of researchers are supported, are being funded to look at that question, and we're able to bring them in either for briefings and discussions with 25 to 30 people of experts and policymakers, or sometimes very much smaller closed-door conversations that help to, again, our goal is always let's bring evidence into the conversation because decisions need to be made, whether it's a leader of a delivery system making a choice about how to allocate resources for patient populations or a state or federal policymaker making decisions about how to spend their resources, the decisions will be made. And our goal is to bring evidence into that decision-making process. That is something that I have been seeing a lot of lately. I would have to say that there is this hunt for benchmarks that every organization trying to figure out and benchmark the quality of their care. In other words, we're spending a lot on our diabetic patients. But wait a second, is that too much? You know, how productive is the care that we're delivering? And in order to assess that, obviously, you need to compare and contrast against something. Exactly. So it sounds like what your organization really facilitates is getting the right people in the room to be able to gather data points, to be able to triangulate what does productivity actually mean. Yep. Actually yep, figure this out for real. <laughs> and who gets to be a, a member of Academy Health? Is it pretty much anyone who raises their hand and pays a membership fee or is there some... Yes, absolutely. And to that point, we like to call ourselves a big tent because the number of issues that we're confronting, not just in healthcare delivery, but also in achieving the ultimate outcome, which is optimized health for individuals and communities and populations, that takes a lot of different expertise. So I'm a pediatrician, so I'm a member of the American Academy of Pediatrics, and I had to be board certified to do that. We don't have that kind of disciplinary requirement to join Academy Health. It is a membership fee. It's minimal. I would say it's $200. And we have doctors, nurses, and more PhDs than clinical disciplines. We have health economists, social scientists, 
PhD health services researchers, master's prepared researchers, and then a lot of folks who have maybe these career trajectories that cross over. At one point, there may be a leader in a delivery system, then they maybe go to academics, then they go back to another setting, maybe an industry in the pharmaceutical outcomes research world. And I think what we're seeing in our membership is some evolution that is both a result of and parallels the transformation we're seeing in healthcare delivery. So for example, one of the things over the last decade in our individual members 10 years ago, maybe 65% were academically based, whereas today it's more evenly distributed between the private sector and academics throughout about 10% who are government employees. Because again, that intersection between public and private sector. But we're seeing more and more of what uh, the phenotype of individual who is maybe well trained in health services research methods and goes on to work in a delivery systems either in a a sort of research evaluation role, and we call those kind of embedded researchers, but also in more uh, leadership roles. So colleagues of mine, whether it's Tim Ferriss or Greg Meyer, in both of them in Massachusetts, are well-trained researchers and clinicians, but they're in leadership roles in delivery systems. And so we're seeing those kinds of members increasingly as the evidence is being generated in lots of different places. Let me ask your opinion on this. Someone mentioned this to me recently, and I've been pondering it. They were saying that there's a a difference between academic research and improvement in care delivery or process improvement. And what the difference is, is that if you're attempting to do academic research, you're really focused on making sure you have a very adequate control group and that you are extending the timeline for a long enough period to obtain results. And the idea is to control for as many biases as possible. You want to have a very controlled research environment. On the other hand, if you are trying to improve care delivery, basically what you're trying to do is do it, learn, change the process, do it again. Yep. You know, it's kind of a a different philosophy. How do you bridge that given that your membership includes both? Exactly. Noah, you've really zeroed in on a key point of discussion amongst our membership and, and really in the healthcare system. So I think your example is focused on the extremes at one end of more, I would say, clinical research, which is about highly selected populations in controlled settings to really get at the question, can the intervention work, which is much more of an efficacy question than an effectiveness question. And then at the other end of the spectrum that you described is the very important rapid cycle PDSA, quality improvement, process improvement that must happen as part of healthcare operations if we're going to achieve better outcomes and better value. The reality is it's not one or the other. There's a continuum in between that I think folks describe as quality improvement. Then you go to quality improvement research or implementation science. There are a number of different terms that are being used to characterize what is the most rigorous quality improvement process I need to do for the goals I'm concerned about right now 
versus what is the use of this information for generalizable and other purposes beyond the site-specific process improvement. And so while there's definitely a little bit of attention, the methods, I think we're seeing increasing sort of sharing across those two extremes. And to your point, at our annual research meeting, we have, it's held every summer in June. We're going to be in Boston this year at the end of June. We expect over 2,600 participants. That's about the number we get every year. And we have 18 different themes through which we receive scientific abstracts. We had the highest number ever this year at over 2,500. And we have one of the themes is on measuring safety, quality, and value. The other theme is on improving safety, quality, and value. Again, those are two themes. Another theme is patient-centered outcomes. And so we're seeing more and more of this explication of this continuum of research of sort of intervention and evaluation from quality improvement, straight QI, to very controlled research. But a lot of health services research, which is what our field does, is really much more about studying what works in the real world and asking that question, not just what works for one group, but for whom, under what circumstances, what's the influence of context, and not only what works, but at what cost. And once you find out what works, how do you sustain that in that setting and how do you scale it and spread it? And when you scale and spread, are the outcomes, whether those are quality outcomes or cost outcomes, are those replicable? Can you get the same outcomes in different contexts? And that's really a big question for healthcare today because, you know, if you're innovating with, again, I've used the example a couple of times here, whether it's care coordination or some hospital transition discharge program to reduce rehospitalizations, again, too many studies focus on just the one site or the one population. And then when you go to the next site or the next population, you don't get the same impact. And so understanding how to adapt and tailor interventions for different needs is a critical part of the work that many of our members do. Definitely want to get back to the annual meeting because I'm astounded by these 18 thematic tracks. So we will, little foreshadowing, we're going to get there because I'm fascinated by this. But I just want to stay on, on this point because I understand, even in my own experience, this whole idea of trying to figure out how to make something replicatable. And if you're trying to do quality process improvements, I might be within my care setting and I'm adapting every day to and incorporating what I've learned. On the other hand, if I am talking to a colleague in a different institution and I'm trying to, I want to use the word prove in quotes, or I'm trying to provide some sort of evidence basis that the process which I have developed is going to work elsewhere as well, I could see that would be difficult to do in the absence of the controlled environment of research, so to speak? Or how did those conversations happen? It's a critical question. And this is what many leaders in health systems are sort of racking their brains about every single day is figuring out how to deploy their resources, i.e. human capital, money, et cetera, and the interventions to achieve the maximum value for their population. And so we help to convene, again, those conversations and the methods that you use, because at the heart of it is being sort of intentional about the process improvement you're putting into place and your measurement strategy. And I have to say, I've been at this role at Academy Health now just over five years. I was at Cincinnati Children's Hospital Medical Center for a number of years before that. And I mention them because they're sort of a sine qua non of an improvement organization that it's part of the culture, it's part of the DNA there 
to do improvement and to also partner that with very rigorous capacity for data analytics for measurement to understand when an improvement process actually has worked and achieved the aims and the goals that were set out for it. And it goes back to the old adage that I think Batalden first said, which is not all change is improvement, but all improvement is change. And so really trying to tease out when you make these change, these processes, what is actually contributing to, to better outcomes and quality. And so we do a number of things to try to help folks with that struggle that you're alluding to. We have, and actually we have three councils at Academy Health. One of them is our education council. So that helps us understand the changing training and educational needs of our field. The second one is our methods council. And this methods council has a number of experts on the council who are very much experts at that intersection of quality improvement and quality improvement research and implementation science. So to name a few, whether it's Brian Mittman from the Veterans Administration or Lucy Savitz from Intermountain Healthcare or Don Goldman from the Institute for Healthcare Improvement, IHI, these are individuals who are absolutely expert at rigorous QI and peer-reviewed research and sort of when does one flow along this continuum from one to the other. And again, coming back to our annual research meeting, just to give you a couple bullet points from our call for abstracts to give you a sense of what people focus on, under the measuring safety, quality, and value theme, a couple of the priorities are evaluating initiatives that use performance measurement to increase value, improve quality, and reduce cost. Methods for measuring primary care behavioral health integration. Methods for measuring patient-reported outcomes. Measuring value in a value-based payment world. And then under the improving health, safety, quality, and value, some of the bullets are consequences of diagnostic delays or errors, innovative strategies and interventions that aim to improve safety, quality, and value, reliability and patient heterogeneity as competing factors in pursuing a comprehensive, effective safety agenda. So you can see there's a broad range of topics where people grapple, present, and submit their work on this and then present in podium presentations or in poster sessions and have discussions, not just about their results, but importantly, debate and learn from each other about how to deploy this sort of in the real world. You said there's 18 thematic tracks at your Boston meeting this year. Yes, actually, 18 was, I just realized, was the number last year in Minneapolis. We have 19 this year. And other than the two on safety, quality, and value that I mentioned, there's another one on complex chronic conditions, another theme on behavioral health, a theme on consumer choice and behavioral economics. This is a big you know, sort of topical area, which we've had a, a theme on it for years, but it's very, I think, policy relevant right now as we move to better align incentives, financial and other with the behaviors that we want to achieve, not just among patients, but also providers and individual providers and provider systems. Obviously, the other area we haven't really talked about yet that health services research focuses on is what happens before you get into the delivery system. And so issues of health insurance coverage and access to care. So that's another, obviously, since the Affordable Care Act, a big area of transformation and understanding such dimensions such as the impact of provider participation and this move towards narrow networks and high deductible health plans, what impact is that having on access to care? So I could go on. Again, there's 19 different themes, but as you can see, it really is bottom up. It's driven by the interests of our members and our volunteer leaders on our planning committees who call for presentations and abstracts and all of these topics that help to generate 
shared learning about what we're learning to change care and improve outcomes. It sounds like if anyone is wrestling with any of these questions, that your annual meeting is definitely a place where they can go to see what the best and brightest are up to. And and as you said, even network to find collaborative partners and, and really understand what is going on out there so that you can focus your efforts a little bit more clearly. Yes, I like that conclusion, Stacey. I would agree. I mean, as I said earlier, I'm a pediatrician and I've also been very active in our pediatric research community. And I go to our Academic Pediatrics Association conference every year. But this Academy Health meeting, because it's multidisciplinary, because it's not just pediatricians, it is the range of both disciplines, scientific disciplines and policy disciplines and leaders it's really reflects, I think, the real world of care delivery. And so you get to learn from lots of different folks, which I think is really critical if we're going to find solutions to some of the challenges we're facing right now. And another event that you run is, you call it your Health Data Palooza, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah. That's a, a new partnership for us that we're very excited about. So thank you for bringing it up. This is the seventh year of the annual Health Data Palooza. And for those of you who are old enough, on the, who are listening in your audience, know the sort of genesis of the Lollapalooza. And I think it really, the name reflects the energy and the, the sort of the nature of, of this event. It is a par- very close partnership with the Department of Health and Human Services and leaders at HHS. So that brings in the health policy world and the private sector, the tech world, the delivery system world, and the researchers, but all focused on data liberation and data application. How do we take, as I mentioned earlier in our conversation, this wealth or some call tsunami of new data that's coming out and actually transform it into products, services, applications, apps that actually make a difference for health. And so it's a very high energy event. We're expecting about 1,400 attendees this year. It's in Washington, D.C. We have a number of related activities. There's a Health Data Liberator Award. I think that closed the call for nominations, just closed. We have a challenge where in the past we've done data challenges and codathons related to public sector data, Medicare and Medicaid. This year we have a partnership with Optum and a data challenge related to rheumatoid arthritis that is open right now and calling for teams. We work very much with consumers. There are several tracks in this meeting, and there's a consumer shark tank where different companies will be pitching their apps and their innovations to a panel of judges to see whether or not they think it's it's obviously an adaptation of the famous TV Shark Tank, and we do have permission to use the term, to see which of those concepts and innovations the panel of judges deem would help consumers in choosing and achieving higher value care. So lots of exciting dimensions to it. But again, it's at that really important intersection of innovation, tech, delivery system transformation, and data. So you had used the term a tsunami of data that's currently available. How does that work? Or first of all, do you just make a tsunami of data available to participants and say, here's the data feed, do something with it? I mean, is that kind of Yeah, no, I wish. (laughs) Nothing is that easy. It is more that innovators and leaders in delivery systems, there's a payer track, a provider track, a consumer track, and then we have special foci, we have a life sciences as well as international. We have uh, HHS has partnerships with... uh, the UK, Israel, Canada, 
because this is not just a U.S. issue around data and leveraging new data for improvements in health and healthcare. And so we don't make any data available, but these innovators, these companies are using different data streams and different apps to create value. So let me give you an example. We have companies like Socrata and Esri and Optum, I already mentioned, and IBM and many, many others. And they each have different combinations of data streams and are doing different things with them, whether it's a new app or data analytics, predictive analytics, lots of new innovations. We just create sort of the marketplace for those ideas. We don't provide the data. I see. So when someone goes to the data palooza, they sort of pick which area they want to be in. And then there's a challenge that's given to them by the organization that's sort of sponsoring that particular area. So Optum has a challenge and they say, okay, everybody, this is the problem to figure out. The challenges are usually launched in advance. And then uh, sometimes the, the results are announced at the meeting or they're launched at the meeting and results are later. So that's one aspect of it. To be clear, the majority of the program at the Data Palooza is concurrent sessions, but these are not your typical sort of didactic research presentations. It's really much more about dialogue and presenting innovations and then discussing challenges. For example, what is Optum? What was their challenge? Like, what are they looking to solve? The Optum challenge is around rheumatoid arthritis and leveraging different Optum data to develop applications to improve the management of rheumatoid arthritis. So some of the breakout sessions, for example, a payer session is focused on finding untapped value through sharing and using multi-sector data. And so we have participants from the Illinois Public Health Institute, from North Coast Health Information Network, and Camden County Police Department, all talking with the audience and each other about how to push the boundaries to support and build cross-sector data at the national and local levels. Another one is focused on the debate over how to rate doctors and hospitals, a very timely one. So this one is whether you've got Yelp or U.S. News and World Report, increasingly we're seeing reports on public scorecards on performance, whether it's a surgeon, a doctor, a hospital. So there we have individuals from DocSpot, ProPublica, U.S. News and World Report, and the Global Liver Institute talking about how does this work? What are the benefits? How does it work well? What are some of the remaining challenges? Another special focus is about the opioid epidemic. And we have folks from SureScripts and Castlight uh, and also a state injury prevention center. So I could go on, but again, it's trying to bring folks who are tackling similar issues, but from different perspectives to talk about the innovations. That probably is a a very good spot for me to ask you if someone is interested further in Academy of Health in general or in one of your conferences, the, the Health Data Palooza or your annual meeting, where can they go for more information? www.academyhealth, all one word, .org, academyhealth.org. But also, I would encourage your listeners to just email me, lisa.simpson at academyhealth.org. We really believe our mission of this connection and bringing folks together and creating this big tent because it is only through different perspectives that we're going to be able to find the innovations that really work to improve health and healthcare. Thank you so much, Lisa. Thank you, Stacy. Enjoyed our conversation. Links to everything discussed on the program today can be found at relentlesshealthvalue.com. 
If you visit the website, RelentlessHealthValue.com, you will also find a complete listing of all of the shows that we have published thus far. There are over 50 at this point with leading entrepreneurs and executives in the healthcare space today. Another cool feature is, you know, you can subscribe to the show so that every week the episode is automatically sent to you so you don't have to remember to go to the website to download it. Thanks so much for listening.